Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for being here, being a part of this uh, sermon series that we are going through. Uh, The sermon series called In Game, where we are looking at the uh, end of all things, the uh, blessed hope, the return of the Lord. That's what we are keying in on and focusing in on. And the goal that I have in doing this series is to just give some good, solid teaching from the Bible, not not conspiracy theory, not our own ideas and opinions, but really what does the Word of God say and how do we relate the Word of God to our lives today? So what we're going to be doing as we keep going through this is we're just going to be building upon the, the foundation. We are, we are going to be getting deeper each time. We're going to be building more and more layers and understanding how all of this works together. And in order to understand it, we have to understand what Jesus is teaching and what he is doing. So this is sermon number four in this series. And this series is going to last for a while. I can't tell you how many sermons are going to be because I don't really know yet how much we are, how long we're going to be in this. But the first sermon that we did was uh, how to live in light of the end of all things. Number two was what is the end game? What is God's end goal? And what is his end game going to be? Number three last week was looking at Jerusalem as the epicenter of all of the end, uh, the epicenter of the end of all things. Everything is revolving around Israel, specifically Jerusalem. So that's what we need to look at. Today, we are going to look at what Jesus himself said that really kicked off all of this teaching that he is going to do. The thing that Jesus said is in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39. So if you have a Bible, please turn in that Bible to Matthew chapter 3. We'll look at 37 through 39. Now, what Jesus is going to say in this specific section is going to then kick off and launch and just kind of break open a series of questions the disciples are going to ask because they want it to be clarified. They want to understand. And then Jesus is going to specifically give this prophetic statement, the parable statements that are going to tell us what the end times events are going to be. So today the message is this. It is uh, called the prophecy of the end of all things. Let's pray and dig into God's word. Father, help us today to hear from you. Help us to understand how your truth applies to us. Help us, Lord, not to read into the Bible, but read what the Bible actually says. Help us not to pay attention to things that we shouldn't be paying attention to, Lord. Help us to not be confused, but please bring clarity on this subject. Father, whether we are right at the start of the end of all things or whether that is still yet to come down the road, help us to understand what the signs are, help us to understand what the events are, and help us, Lord, to be prepared in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives for what may happen someday. I pray, Father, that you would be with us today, that it would not be my words, but it would be your words by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to all of us, 
that we would have receptive ears and hearts and minds to your truth here today. Father, we will praise and glorify and honor you because it's, it is completely 100% about you. Everything in life revolves around you. And so, Lord, help us to acknowledge that. You are the king and we are your servants and help us to love you even more. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Well, I gave you an outline of what the events were, and I gave you that outline last week, and I want you to just keep that in mind, this outline of the events that are going to take place from Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39, all the way through the end of chapter 25. Um, it's one teaching that Jesus is going to do. It's one conversation that he's going to have. Now, after the fact, we came in, or, or uh, commentators or the Bible writers came in and they put in page numbers, they put in verse numbers, they put in chapter numbers. Uh, don't pay attention to any of that because it's one solid teaching that Jesus is going to do. Now, what I showed you last week, that this is the outline of the things that happen in Matthew 23 through 25. You're going to see Jesus give a specific prophecy. That prophecy is going to provoke a series of questions that the disciples are going to ask. The questions are primarily related to why, when, what, all of those things that we want to know as well. What, what's going to happen? How, what does this mean? How is this all going to work? When is this stuff going to happen? Questions that we ourselves ask. Then Jesus is going to answer them. And the answers that he's going to give are going to be a series. It's going to be a prophecy straight out. It's not figurative. It is just literal language that he's going to use. Then he is going to give some parables. He's going to speak in parabolic language to talk about and, and really back up what he had just said. Then he's going to finish it out with a final prophecy about judgment. All of that's going to happen in Matthew 24 and 25. So today, I want to start with this prophetic statement that he made. We looked at it last week, but we only talked about the first three words. We're going to look at the rest of the prophetic statement today, and next week we will launch in to the signs that Jesus is going to give. We'll talk about the very first sign that Jesus is going to say. So let's jump into the prophecy, Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39, and I want you again to remember the context of everything that is going on. Jesus had done a series of final messages. Matthew chapter 22, he did his final message to the public. The final message to the public was this, the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding where a king is arranging a wedding for his son. That's the picture of what the gospel is. God, the father, creating and arranging a wedding between his son and his bride. The bride is the body of Christ. <clears throat> That's what the kingdom of heaven is like, he says to the public. Then he switches gears into Matthew 23, and he gives a series of condemnation messages, a series of judgments and woes that is directed at religious leaders, those religious leaders that were fake, they were not really following God. They gave God lip service, but their hearts were far from him. Jesus would call them hypocrites over and over again. A hypocrite was an actor or an actress, somebody who played a role, somebody who pretended, but their heart really wasn't God's. We have a lot of people, I think, in our American church like that today, probably in the global church, that pretends like they're following God. They give God lip service, but their hearts are far from him. 
Jesus in Matthew 23 gives a series of seven judgments, seven woes, seven condemnations, seven damnations that he is giving upon the people saying you are under God's curse because you are so fake. Now just let that kind of sink in a little bit today. Are you real with God or are you fake? Are you authentic and genuine or are you playing at this church thing? God wants our hearts. He wants us to be real. He wants us to be authentic and genuine and not play the role, pretend to play the part. All of those woes then lead us to the very end of the conversation. Now, Jesus is in the temple. He is confronting all of these religious hypocrites. He is also talking to his disciples who are there. The public were hearing a little bit of this as well. Jesus is there in the temple. And as he wraps up his message in the temple, he's going to say these words. And this is what we're going to key in on today. He says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. In other words, again, that's the epicenter of all of the events of the end. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. That is the prophecy that he's going to say. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until, or till you say, and this is the Hebrew, Baruch Habab Shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, in this little statement, in these three verses, Jesus is going to give four things about Jerusalem and about Israel. But I want you to hear it this way. It's not just about Jerusalem and Israel. By the way, these are future events. This is also a direct statement made to all of the world, all of the humanity, and specifically to you and I today. It's a direct word from Jesus to you and to me about how these events directly impact us and how we find ourselves in these verses. I'm going to show you four things today. The first thing I want to show you is this, and that is just the guilt. It's the guilt. It's the guilt of Jerusalem. It's the guilt of the world. It is the guilt of humanity. Jesus ends that whole section on giving woes and pronouncing judgment to then saying, you are guilty. He is pronouncing judgment over them. He is pronouncing guilt. He is pronouncing condemnation and judgment upon Jerusalem, the nation, the world, all of humanity, and you and I. Look at what he says. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. What is he saying by all of that? Well, he's saying this. You are guilty. You're guilty. You stoned everyone that I sent to speak to you on my behalf. You killed the ones that I sent to proclaim the good news to you. It ultimately will culminate with Jesus being killed on the cross. I came for you, Jesus says, yet you killed the prophets that were sent to you. You're guilty of all because you did not know and you did not understand the time of your visitation. 
So the first thing Jesus does is he says, you are guilty. And when you stand before God as king, as the righteous judge, in the position of being guilty, that is a time of desperation. That is a time of fear and trembling like you will have never known before. Now, that is the statement to Jerusalem, it's the statement to Israel, it's the statement to fake religiosity, but it's also a direct statement to you and I. Do you realize this, that you and I are guilty? We will stand before God guilty. We have sinned and fallen short of God. We have done what is unrighteous, evil in God's sight. We will stand in a position of being guilty in that same way. Romans chapter 3 says this, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. The guilt is upon all of us. The guilt because we have sinned, the guilt because there is none that is righteous, the guilt because we have all done what is wicked and wrong and evil in his sight. And then he culminates that whole message in Romans 3 with one of the most familiar verses in the Bible, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The guilt of mankind will fall upon Israel and Jerusalem at the end because they have turned away from him. Even today, mostly Israel is a secular nation. They do have some Orthodox Jews, but it's a very small minority that are Orthodox Jewish people in that nation. And today in Israel, about less than 1%, I believe the statistics say, are, are following Jesus. They do not follow Jesus, Yeshua as Lord. They are guilty, but it is the same picture for the entire world. We are guilty, and we stand in a position of being guilty before God. Ezra 9, it says this, And I said, O my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Have you ever come to that point in life where you look at your life and you look at the sin in your life and you have felt so ashamed that you feel like I can't even lift my eyes to God. Pastor Stephen, when he was praying or when he was talking in the worship time, was talking about beating his chest and saying, you know, woe to me, a a sinner. I I can't even look at you, God, is the picture of what Jesus was saying. We are are guilty and will stand before a judge guilty because of that. I'm ashamed of what I have done. I'm ashamed of my sin and I will have to stand before him. Do you know that Romans 1 says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What what does that mean? It means the evidence of God is everywhere. It's everywhere. 
you're not going to be able to go before God and say, well, I didn't know. I, I, I didn't know. I thought I was doing okay. And God will say, no, you have no excuses because my fingerprints are everywhere. The evidence of me is everywhere. Because of that, we will stand before God guilty. And it's the same pronouncement that Jesus is giving on the nation. You are guilty. You are guilty. You stone the prophets. You kill the ones who are sent to you. But it doesn't stop there. Because if it just stopped with the guilt, we would have no hope. Because then he's going to transition into the heart of God. And I love, this is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. The heart of God is demonstrated in the next words out of Jesus' mouth. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, who stones those who are sent to her. And then he says, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Now, I want you to notice that. Think about those words. How often I wanted to gather you together like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I heard a story of a farmer. And the farmer had a fire happen in his, at his farm, and it destroyed everything. I believe it was a lightning strike that struck a tree that then caught a building on fire, and it burned down his entire homestead. He was so frustrated and so devastated because of what had happened. He was walking through the middle of his, uh, of, of his farm, and he saw what looked like a, a charred piece of wood. And he saw that charred piece of wood, and he just went up to it just in frustration and anger, and he kicked it as hard as he could. And then he realized, wait, that wasn't a piece of wood. It was a, a dead hen. It was, it was a crisped up hen. You couldn't even tell. Are all charcoaled. And as he kicked it, all of these little chicks came out running from underneath that mother hen. That's the picture of God. How I long to gather you. The heart of God is not to scatter. It is to gather. The heart of God is not to punish. It is to protect. The heart of God is not to pour out wrath, it is to pour out love. That is his heart. That is his desire. And that's what Jesus is demonstrating. He's saying, look, this is my heart. I don't want to pronounce judgment. I don't want to pronounce guilt. I don't want to pronounce that you are, uh, are under the wrath of God. I want to gather you. And then he ends it with this little phrase, four words, Five words, sorry, but you were not willing. Don't those five words sum up all of humanity? I came for you, but you were not willing. I gave my life for you, but you were not willing. I died for you, but you were not willing. I proposed to you, but you were not willing. I poured out my life for you, but you were not willing. How many on that day, that end day, are going to have to stand before God and God will say, I tried, but you were not willing. Don't leave this room today without being willing to say, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I want a relationship with you. I'm sick of trying to live on my own. I know that I'm guilty, but you poured out your love so that I could have an opportunity and I'm willing to receive that. I am willing to accept you. In Psalm 91, God says this, he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you shall take refuge. 
That's the heart of God. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says this. Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, God, our Savior, who desires all men. Now, that's not a gender-specific, you know, not women, but men. It's, it's the, the word is humanity. It is mankind. God, our Savior, who desires all of humanity, all of mankind to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's his heart. His heart is not to scatter. It is to gather. His heart is not to pour out wrath, it is to pour out love. His heart is to protect, not to punish. Romans chapter 2, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? His heart is good, his heart is loving, his heart is blessing, his heart is kind, his heart is gathering, not pronouncing judgment and condemnation. Isaiah 30, therefore the Lord will wait. He, he's waiting. He is just waiting. He's not poured out his judgment yet, his wrath yet, because he is waiting. He's giving an opportunity for people to come to him. He will wait that he may be gracious to you. That's his purpose for waiting, that he might be gracious, that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. So you see the guilt of mankind, but you see the heart of God. The heart of God says, are you willing? Will you accept me? Will you receive me? But people don't, and Israel didn't, and Jerusalem especially didn't. And as a result of that, Jesus now is going to lay out then the consequences of rejection. Because not only is there guilt, not only is the heart of God to reach out and gather, not scatter, if you are not willing, then there are consequences to that decision. The consequences of rejecting him. Every decision you make in life has consequences, both good and bad. Every decision, no matter how small the decision is, has consequences associated with it, both good consequences and bad consequences. Jesus is now going to say this, here are the consequences. In fact, he's going to say the consequences, people, of not knowing the time of your visitation, which is what it says in uh, Luke chapter 19 and 21. You didn't know the time of your, your visitation, so the consequences is this. He's going to say these words, see, your house is left to you desolate. See, see, this is the consequences, and this is the transitional moment, the transitional prophetic statement that Jesus is going to make. Now, most of us would read those words and think, okay, you know, that, that, that sounds bad, but I, I don't know much more beyond that. If you were a first century Jew... And you had been in that location when Jesus had spoken that. If you had been one of the religious leaders or you had been one of the disciples. And you would have heard Jesus say, see, your house is left desolate. You would have instantly known what that meant. The your house portion of that, your, that is, that is the Jews. That's who he's talking to, your house. You Jewish people in the temple, that's the house. Your house, the Jewish temple is going to be left to you desolate. Now, again, we don't quite understand that in our culture, but if you were in that day, you would have immediately known what Jesus was talking about without any further words. 
In fact, Jesus is going to reference this again in Matthew 24, verse 15, when he says, when you see the abomination standing in the temple, in the holy place, run, flee, get out of the area, because that's when all hell will break loose. When, they said, when he said these words, the disciples immediately knew he was talking about the book of Daniel. Specifically, Daniel chapter 7 through 12, where Daniel is going to say, here are the events of the end times. And the culminating pinnacle event is this, what is called the abomination of desolation. So Jesus says, you, your house is going to be left exactly what Daniel said in the book of Daniel, it's going to be left desolate. Now here's what the book of Daniel says, and let me just summarize it real quickly. Daniel's going to say this, Israel will be invaded, Jerusalem will be destroyed, the temple will be desolated, then you will see the Son of Man returning. Those four events. Israel's borders will be violated, it will be invaded, Jerusalem destroyed, the temple desolated, then the Son of Man will return. Those are the pinnacle events, the key points that you're going to see in the end is that you're going to see Israel being surrounded, Israel being invaded, Jerusalem being desolated and destroyed. The temple, which means there has to be a temple rebuilt, will be desolated, then Jesus is going to return. So here's what he's going to say to them. The consequences of your rejecting me is that your house is going to be left desolate. Jeremiah 22, here's what it says. But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. God's wrath will be coming. God will not hold back forever. Romans 1 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. See, God's wrath, the terrible day of the Lord, the wrath of God will come. And it will come at the culmination of the events that Daniel says, that Jesus will say in Matthew 24 and 25, that it says in Revelation, that's when the Lord will return. So here's what we see. We're going to see the guilt. We're going to see the heart of God. We're going to see the consequences. The consequences, both good and bad. If you accept Jesus, the consequences are joyous, beautiful. They are, they are an eternity with him. But if you reject God, the consequences are his wrath that will be coming. That leads all the way to Jesus's final statement, the finale of what Jesus is saying in this prophetic statement in Matthew 23. And here's what he says. Again, Jerusalem, you kill the ones who were sent to you, but that's not my heart. My heart is to gather you, not to scatter you. But you weren't willing. So your house is going to be left desolate. And then he's going to say this, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is the ultimate culmination of all of the events will lead up to the return of Jesus. And in the return of Jesus, all that are there in Israel, in Jerusalem, will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
This is a quote that Jesus is giving out of Psalm 118, which says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The word bless is interesting. It means we bless, we receive, we honor you, we acknowledge you, we delight in you, the coming one. We acknowledge that the coming one is, he's coming from God himself. Now, this is not a causative event. This is not if Jerusalem finally turns the corner and says, you know what, we got it all wrong. Jesus is the savior. And Jesus is just kind of waiting up in heaven saying, oh, when they finally make that point, then I'm coming. This is a, an event that people will say it in response to seeing Jesus because they will be experiencing so much chaos and carnage that will be happening in Jerusalem that when they see the, the son return, they will finally say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This event is also connected to the first time that Jesus entered into Jerusalem. In Matthew 21, the crowds were gathering around Jesus. They were going before him. They had palm branches. They were waving the palm branches. Jesus was riding in on a donkey, and the crowds kept following him, shouting, chanting, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, or Hoshana to Ben David. Hoshana. Hoshana means save us. They were crying out, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, Hoshana in the highest. They were witnessing and recognizing Jesus returning at that point. But when, when the Son of Man comes at the end, they will say the exact same thing. They will recognize that Jesus has come. He is here. He has returned. And everything will be made right. Those are the events. Those are the prophetic statements that Jesus makes. And out of those statements, the disciples now are going to be provoked to ask a series of questions. The, the, the when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age? And now Jesus is then going to answer all of those questions in a profound way. All of this, though, is an opportunity. And it's an opportunity for you, and it's an opportunity for the loved ones around you. Because if you look at what Jesus was just saying and how he was saying it, he was essentially saying to you and I this message. You're guilty. You have sinned. You have fallen short of the glory of God. You are under the wrath of God. You are going to experience the punishment of God. But... That's not my heart, Jesus says. I don't want to punish you. I want to gather you, not scatter you. I want to forgive you, not condemn you. I want to pronounce love and acceptance, not judgment and condemnation. Would you receive what I have for you? Would you accept me into your life as Lord and Savior? Would you ask me for forgiveness and I will give it to you and then follow me with all of your heart? Will you do that? See, he throws that question out, and then we have to respond. And there's only two ways to respond. Yes, I am willing. I want to receive what you have to offer, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to make sure my heart is right with you. I don't want judgment. I don't want punishment. I don't want, want to be under the wrath of God. So, Jesus, I'm willing. I receive what you have. Or you could say, I'm not willing. 
And I don't want it. I don't believe it. I don't accept it. I don't think it's right. In fact, I don't even think there is a God. Okay? There's a lot of evidence that we're going to look at that's going to point to that. But every decision you make has a consequence, both good and bad. Say, Jesus, I'm willing. I want you. I want to follow you. The consequence of that is a life with him. Forgiveness, peace, joy, love, acceptance, blessing. All of that is a gift from him. Eternity with him, that's a gift from him. Being part of his bride, it's a gift from him. Spending that time with him, that is all a gift. Or you can say, no, I don't want it. I reject it. I'm not willing. And that has consequences as well. And you may think, well, no, it doesn't. It's not real. I don't want to be in that position. And I don't want you to be in that position to come against the judgment of God when he has clearly laid it out. Because if you say, no, I'm not willing, you remain under the wrath of God, under the judgment of God, and everything that we are going to talk about going forward is part of that. So there's an opportunity. And the opportunity, you can sum it up in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, which says, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Romans 10, 13, Paul says it this way. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In the end, Jerusalem is going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's going to be in response to all of the carnage and chaos that is happening. The bloodshed is going to be so immense that they will gladly receive, but it could be just too late. It could be too late at that time. God knows. God is going to handle it. He talks about the fact that Israel will be saved, but who does that mean exactly in Israel? It would be better to be in right standing with God today than waiting until that moment when you don't really know. I, I hope that that makes sense. Do business with God today because we don't know specifically when this end is going to be, but we also don't know when our end is going to be. You don't know the end of your days. There are tragedies that happen that young people pass away far too, too, with too short of life. And then there are people that live to be uh, well in, past their prime in, into the 90s and hundreds. And you don't know when your days will end. You don't know when those days will be. So not only do you not know the end of days, you don't know when your end of days will be. And so it's important to do business with God and make sure that you are right with him and have accepted him and are committed to him. So God gives an opportunity. We have the guilt that we all face. We have the heart of God, which is to pour out love. We have the consequences of being unwilling and the consequences of being willing. And then the finale, that God wants us to make that decision and to have that opportunity. Jesus' prophetic statement in all of this is going to lead to our next session. The prophetic statement is this. He's going to say, and he just said through this desolation of Israel thing or this, this abomination of desolation event, your house will be left to you desolate. He's going to say, Israel is going to be invaded. 
Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, the temple will be desolated, and then the Son of Man, Jesus, will return. And so that's how he's going to answer all of these questions. So next week, we're going to look at the specific signs. The first sign. The first sign, by the way, is not going to be blood moons. It's not going to be the vaccine. It's not going to be masks. It's not going to be a virus. The first is not going to be the, the, the uh, forming of, of a one-world economy or government. The first is a very specific one that Jesus is going to lay out at the very beginning. And that's what we're going to look at next week. Before we end today, I want you to have the opportunity to say yes to God. And I'm going to ask you just to pray and to bow your heads and to quiet your hearts. And if you are saying to God, I am willing and I want to receive you and I want to follow you, this is an important time for you to make that decision. Don't let this moment and this opportunity go by where you say, I'm, I'm not willing. I don't want this. Because every decision you make has consequences, both good and bad. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to pray specifically for those people in this room who have never made a decision to say, yes, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. And I pray today, Lord, that this would be the opportunity in the moment where they understand that you pour out love, that your heart is not to scatter, but to gather, that your heart is not to punish, but it is to protect that your heart is to pour out grace to them, not condemnation. And I pray today, Lord, that each one here or each one watching would be willing to say, God, I'm willing to receive you. I'm willing to start this relationship with you. I'm willing to enter into this, this journey with you. Father, I pray that you would work on our hearts, that we would come before you confessing, saying, God, I know that I'm guilty. I know that I'm a sinner. I don't want to stand before you in this present condition that I'm in. Lord, I want to be made right. And in that position that they would say, so Jesus, I receive the gift that you are offering, the gift of salvation, the gift of taking away my sin, putting it upon you, Jesus, you suffering in my place, dying for me, I receive that, Jesus. Lord, thank you that your heart is one of love for your people. That you don't want to judge, you don't want to condemn, but you will, because your wrath will come. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be ready and in right relationship with you and have hearts that are following and committed to you. Lord, thank you for the time that we can gather here today. As we leave, Lord, bless us and help us to continue to point people to you. Help us to continue to love you with all of our hearts and help us to bring honor and praise to your name. It is in that name that we pray, the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day and may God bless you.